This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Inside the Tunnel. We are live after Virginia Tech beat North Carolina State 45-24. to Despite having 23 players out, multiple coaches, they found a way to win. A lot, lot to unpack here. I'm joined by Evan and Doug. Let's start with Evan. Evan, what's going on? Oh, man, I'm, I'm just glad we got finally have some football to talk about. We don't have to, you know, keep talking about recruiting and, and hypotheticals, but we actually had a game. A game actually did happen. So, yeah, let's talk about it. What about you, Doug? I'm in the same boat. Uh, it was pretty over preseason stuff by the end of the preseason um so just a great saturday in general as with having the sec back and kind of felt like a normal college football saturday there for a little bit yeah and it's always better when virginia tech is on the tv uh just before we start quick prayers for khalid martin it was a tough injury that he sustained in the game had to get the stretchers out and multiple commercial breaks but Luckily, news out of the NC State affiliates on 24-7 maintain that he got out of the hospital. Everything's okay for the most part. And, uh, you know, it's nothing that could potentially be career ending. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I know it's just a game, but it's good to see that, you know, he's he's back on his feet. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through each position group for Virginia Tech and kind of talk about our impressions on how each player played. And it'll kind of take us through the game by doing that. So let's open up with the quarterbacks. Braxton Burmeister gets the start. Doug, what did you see out of him? We had heard all, you know, ever since he enrolled, basically going back to last year about his, uh, his ability running the football. And I think that was clearly, um, Clearly the the case Saturday night, nine carries. I think they had 46 net yards, but that's factored in 21 yards. So they lost on sacks. But I mean, as far as as far as adding the, the option as a scrambling uh, quarterback, I think he lived up to the expectations throwing the ball. They didn't really challenge him with too many tough throws. And I think that's probably a mixture of both the offensive scheme and NC State's quality in the secondary, um, but he made the throws he needed to have. And um, other than that weird hand cramp he had, um, I think it was a pretty solid debut from him. Yeah, and speaking of that hand cramp, which will be infamous in Virginia Tech history, I'm sure, uh, Quincy Patterson comes in. The third-string quarterback comes in week one for Virginia Tech. 
Evan, Quincy looked a bit more developed, three total touchdowns. What did you make of his performance coming in relief for Burmeister? Yeah, you know, I think he's a he's a guy that you can trust in those types of situations. I think he's, you know, he looked a little quicker. He looked a little more elusive, still at power runner. I mean, he he definitely lowered the shoulder a few times. I felt uh, bad for one of the NC State defensive backs. I don't remember which one it was, but it looked like he got abused by Quincy on uh, about three or four different runs uh, right there in the red zone. So, you know, I, I think he uh, I think he still brings that aspect, obviously, to the game. Um, he does still make Virginia Tech a little bit one dimensional, but he did. They did let him throw it a little bit. You know, that that uh, that fade he throws, he throws it pretty well. Um, you know, he threw a couple a couple balls, you know, down the middle that had some decent velocity. But his, his accuracy accuracy is still, you know, a little bit of a question there. I think that's probably why he's behind Hinden Hooker and Braxton Burmeister. But I mean, you can tell that when the offense, uh, you know, when he's in. The offense continues to rally around him. He was kind of a shot in the arm that the uh, the offense needed uh, when he was in there. Same thing happened last year uh, against UNC. He was a little bit of a shot in the arm there. And I think that, uh, you know, he's a guy that they rally around. And, and I agree with Justin Fuente's uh, post, you know, post-game uh, interview where he said that he and Quincy sat down and talked about it. And he, he said he's not disappointed in him. Uh, he just thinks that he needs to continue to develop. There's still things he needs to continue to work on, but he has a really high ceiling. I still think the same way. I think, you know, when you can put all of that together, if he can learn how to how to harness some accuracy, he has, you know, really good velocity. He has really good arm strength, and he can obviously run a little bit uh, and be that power runner. I think he, you know, I think he still has that uh, high ceiling of a guy like a Gerard Evans. It's just going to take him a little bit of time to get there, but once he does. I think there's, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for, for that kid. And I think he's continuing to do it the right way and continuing to learn and grow into the position behind uh, Hinden Hooker and, and Braxton Burmeister. And it looks like he's been learning really well over the last year. Not only that, but you look at you're in week one, you have your third string quarterback available and who knows where the season will take us. But having three guys that are capable of running this offense and, you know, they all have their differences. But a guy like Quincy Patterson, who obviously got some experience last year against North Carolina, Notre Dame, he looked like he had a ton more confidence in this game. And it wasn't just, you know, your typical third string quarterback coming in and you're really limiting the playbook. I mean, Yes, they tend to do the quarterback power runs and it's a run centric offense, but, you know, they're letting him throw a little bit. And I thought it was impressive that, you know, he showed confidence on the field and the staff showed confidence in him. Well, they were running the same power uh, quarterback draws with with Burmeister as well. So, you know, I think that's just a little bit of Virginia Tech's game plan in this game was was to run the ball. I mean, we we all I think all three of us spoke about that. Leading into it, we expected both teams to run heavy and try to control the time of possession. But, uh, you know, I expected there to be big runs to pop on both sides. It seemed like Virginia Tech was popping off those big runs, but their defense was, for the most part, holding up there. So, you know, I think it was I think that was part of the plan. You know, we saw a lot of zone read from both quarterbacks, a lot of, uh, you know, designed runs from the quarterbacks, just keeping it in their in, in their hands, keeping nerves at bay and letting them do kind of what they do best to control the tempo and and control the game and it worked out in the Hokies favor I don't think I think we talked about you know all leading up you touched on a little bit Matei the 
the benefit of Virginia Tech having three quarterbacks that have started a P5 game. And it did not take long for that to um, come to fruition there in terms of how valuable that's going to be for Virginia Tech this season when you can when you can go down to the third string quarterback and get and get Quincy Patterson. He's limited as a passer still. We've talked about that, but they've clearly got um, he's got confidence and they've got a set of plays that he can he can clearly execute. And he's a little bit ahead of where he was last year. So I think I think that's ex- that's that's exactly what we thought was was going to happen was at some point this season, Virginia Tech was going to need all three quarterbacks. And it pretty much happened in week one. So, um, yeah, I think as far as the quarterback situation, you know, with Hooker out or Burmeister just coming back from being quarantined. And, you know, I think I think Virginia Tech's in as good a shape with their depth there as anybody else in the ACC. Speaking of in good shape with the depth, moving on to the running backs, Khalil Herbert, six carries, 104 yards and a touchdown. And Raheem Blackshear, eight carries, 28 yards and a touchdown. The transfers, transfer you, we'll probably bring it up quite a bit during this podcast, but new running backs come into the fold. All of a sudden, Virginia Tech looks lethal in the ground game. Doug, let's talk about Herbert and Blackshear. What'd you see out of them? Didn't take long for Herbert to make an impression there on the first, I guess it was the first run of the game there. Um, ripped off, I think it was 37 yards or something right off the bat. So I think, you know, he was as advertised as a running back. I think he's pretty clearly the best running back Virginia Tech has had since David Wilson. You could throw a little Trayvon McMillan there in 2015, but it's, I mean, the difference of an offense when you can, put together a running game from the with a running back is 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 quite stark and i think herbert just just six carries i think is indicative of how the game went but i i don't think anybody can question his ability as a running back obviously a lot of credit has to go to the offensive line there which i'm sure we'll get to but um i think from from the perspective of did khalil herbert deliver what virginia tech thought he would on in week one, I think that's absolutely 100% correct. And Evan, I know you're pretty excited about these two guys, um, you know, missing some time in practice and maybe not getting all the reps that maybe they should have before this game. But, you know, what does this display on Saturday show to you of, of their potential moving forward? You know, I think we could see, I think we could all see the running game start to evolve last year for Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, whether it was part of Jerry Kill or Vance Vice or, uh, you know, just the evolution of the run game uh, in general and the, and the flow of the games and the flow of the season, we could all see it start to get better. But I didn't expect it to to be as crisp as it was day one when offensive linemen have been in and out of practices, running backs have been in and out of practices, uh, new running back coach. You know, it, it's been it, it's been uh, a little while since I've seen Virginia Tech run the ball as crisply as they did. Uh, Obviously, Khalil Herbert was a guy, when he came in, he had all the accolades from uh, Kansas of a guy that had a chance to be a star. He was simply just behind somebody that's a surefire NFL talent. Um, And sometimes that happens. And he was a guy that 
when, when he was looking at transferring, he wanted a place where he could be featured. Virginia Tech wants to feature him. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk that Justin Fuente has never had a thousand yard rusher and it's running back by committee. I think with this guy, you can ride him. I think he's going to get better as the game goes along. Obviously, game one uh, with some guys in and out and, and and you have conditioning questions, you have uh, the, you know, offensive linemen shuffling in and out and, and we, well, you want to keep your running backs fresh and keep their legs fresh. So, you know, I know Fuente said he didn't limit the numbers. Uh, I think that they probably had an idea of going into this game, how many reps they really wanted to get Herbert and Blackshear to make sure that they stay healthy moving forward and make sure uh, that they could, could do what they wanted to do and control the, the, the tempo of the game while also protecting them from possible conditioning, uh, you know, being out of practice and things like that. So, you know, I think that those two ran the ball well. I think Jalen Holston also ran the ball well. Um, you know, I think he had one ta- one where, uh, where he was tackled in the backfield, but he had a couple runs where he, you know, really looked like he was able to to continue the runs that, that uh, Khalil Herbert was doing. He was able to run off tackle and get to the second level and show a good burst, show some good speed. But, you know, I, I, was, I was impressed with what I saw. You know, obviously Blackshear, uh, cramped up a little bit and they uh, they decided to hold him out uh, for the second half and you know I think that they adjusted well to that you know I think Herbert might have surprised some people with that speed I mean he was a track guy down in Fort Lauderdale they got that South Florida speed down there he's 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 a bigger guy but he can move so you know I think just further uh, in- implementing him into the offense and, and acclimating him uh, getting him his carries up I'd like to see him around that 15 18 carries a game you know, fairly soon, as soon as his conditioning can be able to handle it. And I think we're going to just continue to see him get better as the season goes along. The thing I really like about these two guys, too, is, you know, Blackshear was the guy, at least in my eyes, that we heard the most hype about in the offseason. And he's kind of the guy expected to be involved in not only the rushing attack, but receiving and maybe on special teams. And to see Khalil Herbert emerge as that guy in game one have 100 yards on the ground, have 46 yards receiving, have 45 yards in kick returns. I think it's a good sign moving forward. You now have these two versatile options in your backfield. You can bring a guy like Jalen Holston, who ran for 8.4 yards per carry, uh, you know, in much of the same sense that people were looking at NC State for having uh, person, Bam Knight, and Jordan Houston, I think Virginia Tech clearly has three guys that on any given Saturday can get you that same result. Yeah, I think those, I think those three, you know, I think those three are, are, are solid. And when you add in Keyshawn King as well, you know, we saw flashes there last year where he looks like he could be the future. Now, obviously, he does need to get his, his size up. Uh, but, you know, in a free year, uh, it it sound, sounds like he's going to have an opportunity to also factor in there and continue to build his body up for the future. I still think he's probably the guy to look for in the future. But when you look at Herbert, you look at Blackshear, these are guys that are auditioning for the NFL right now. They know that they have a shot to make it. Um, you know, a guy like Keyshawn King can't make it to the NFL right now. And, and looking at his body and looking at the body of work, he's not there yet. Uh, looking at Herbert and looking at Blackshear, they have you know legitimate options uh, to to go to the NFL after this season, and this is their uh, their audition for it. And I think they're going to make the most of it. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, both of them really start to progress throughout the season. I think it's 
pretty clear at this point. Virginia Tech has a chance to have a really prolific running game. I think the offensive line, which we'll get to in a second, is um, is 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 clearly very good. But when you look at the just going beyond Herbert and Blackshear, you add Holston and and then King coming back eventually. It's four running backs they have. You look at all their quarterbacks between Hooker, Burmeister, and Patterson. There's <laughs> there's three more options that quarterback to run the football and then you factor in the jet sweep game with Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson and I assume eventually at the goal line James Mitchell will be involved there you're looking at 10 9 or 10 guys that can all run the ball so you're looking at the depths and the ability to, to to spread out the carries to keep everybody healthy I think probably the number one takeaway from this game is that the running game is going to be a major part of the Virginia Tech offense all year long, and and it has the potential to be a very, very good one. And now we're going to move on to some blocking talk. I do want to quickly note, Khalil Herbert's blocking was quite impressive. I know that, you know, won't show up in the stats, but, you know, I thought protecting two different quarterbacks, you know, along with the offensive line that clearly paved the way and opened up a lot of these holes, you know, Brock Hoffman said after the game that he wanted to inspire some nastiness and an edge in this unit. This is nothing new, right, Evan? I'm, I know you have an experience with Brock Hoffman way back when. Yeah, you know, I, I, I covered Brock Hoffman's whole recruitment. And I was at the camp when he was at Virginia Tech when I will stand on a table and tell you that they made a mistake not offering him that day. He should have been a Hokie from the beginning. But, uh, you know, it, it ended up working out and getting him uh, to Blacksburg, you know, after a few years at Coastal Carolina. But... He was going one-on-one in a camp in Blacksburg where the defensive tackle was wearing diamond stud earrings. And Brock Hoffman pancaked him while ripping out his earrings, throwing them on the ground in front of the defensive tackle's parents and giving him a death stare as he walked back to take his spot on the offensive line. And from that minute, I mean, I was sold. I didn't care what the kid's ranking was. I love it. You know, that that kid was probably – it's one of my favorite camp stories. I've been to so many camps over the last, you know, eight to ten years, and that one's one that I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, You know, and I think he – I think he should have gotten an offer that day. I think he should have committed that day, and I think he should have been a Hokie from day one. But, you know, it all all worked out. Two years at Coastal, got a chance. We've been talking about it for – you know, a year now, uh, you know, help whoever it is that lines up across from him day one, uh, you know, and, and, and I think that's that, that whole theory kind of held true. I think he really did instill that nastiness in the offensive line uh, unit. He's been working with them for a year now, trying to get an edge back to Virginia Tech's offensive line. He's a leader of the room, even though he's, you know, only been there a few years, everybody seems to look up, out, uh, look up to him and he, he sets the tempo and you go back and you watch those first few plays. And, uh, you know, he was obviously emotional, uh, but he didn't let his nerves get the best of him. And he he did what he was supposed to do. He played the way he was supposed to play and he lived up to the hype, uh, you know, and that'll only get better with more and more conditioning. I, I said, uh, you know, going into this game with, with the issues Virginia Tech has had over the last two to three weeks, Conditioning in the trenches is going to be what really can can define this game. And I think the offensive line really, uh, you know, I th- think they really stepped up. I, I, obviously, they did rotate some. 
uh, and they have a, a good amount of depth there that is playable uh, and that has started games before in the in their uh, in their history. But you know, I think uh, I think that the offensive line really rose to the occasion, and I think a lot of that was Brock Hoffman. I mean, imagine going through what he's gone through, and then getting to play your first game. You know, it's supposed to be Liberty. Well, we're going to cancel that. Then it's supposed to be NC State, then we push it back. Then it's going to be UVA, we push it back. You get it to finally happen. You get your mom in the stands to see him play. And, and this, the game that he put on and the the way he carried himself all game, I mean, I think he's a guy, he's a stand-up guy, and I think he's a great football player, and I think he's a really, really good influence uh, on the offensive line unit. Um, but he's somebody that, you know, after covering him for as long as I have, I'll stand on a table for that kid. And if I'm going into battle, he's the guy I want on my side. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of Brock Hoffman, I think in my own words, I said uh, pro football focus is going to drool all over him. Just the performance that he was able to put in was outstanding. And, you know, turning it to Doug, I mean, the rest of the offensive line as well. And speaking of pro football focus, naming Luke Tenuta, to the team of the week and, you know, several standout performers on the offensive line. But I mean, let's talk about how incredible this performance was. I mean, I haven't seen holes like that, you know, in my time covering Virginia tech. I was going to say, I don't think I've seen a bigger hole than the hole that was open for Khalil Herbert on his first touchdown run. Um, just gaping hole. I think a lot, you know, look, watching it back. Uh, I think, NC State's three-three-five defense played plays right into the hands of a really good offensive line. Considering Virginia Tech multiple times let Lasita Smith block the end on the left side of the line, and then basically freeing up Christian Darisol, who's one of the best offensive linemen in the league, to move freely into the second second level and lock down a linebacker. So I think you know. A little bit of it was NC State's um, scheme there on defense, but I think as far as just the overall performance, I mean, we saw exactly what we thought we would see from Virginia Tech's offensive line this year. When you consider the experience they have coming back, Darisol is the anchor at left tackle, and Hoffman in the middle is kind of the the pivot that, that makes the whole thing work. I mean, they, they performed – that was probably the best game – from a Virginia Tech offensive line in 10 to 15 years. I mean, just just exactly what was needed, and as a, and they rotated through. I mean, I saw Tenuto played a little bit at left tackle. Nestor played a little bit at right tackle and right guard. Um, I saw Zachariah Hoyt get in there. Hudson played a little bit at left guard and right guard. I mean, just the um, just the the comb the depth and the ability to slide positions and all that stuff that we've been talking about all off season came true and they managed to, to, you know, keep their level of play at, at a high level. And that, that's, that basically is what allowed Virginia tech to dominate the game and jump out to a 17, nothing lead and hold it from there. I mean, as far as, you know, Herbert and Blackshear and the running game is great, but you can't do that without an offensive line. And I thought they were just, they, they, they led the way. Yeah, I think that offensive line, I mean, hats off to them. I think that was probably one of the most complete games that an offensive line has put together in recent history for 
Virginia Tech. I mean, it was a little bit, the offense was a little bit reminiscent, uh, in my opinion, to the first time we saw Gerard Evans and that Virginia Tech offense under Justin Fuente. You kind of had that little bit of shock of, you know, who is this? Like, what what team is this right now? Um, you know, when you went from Beamer's offense to Fuente's offense, we all kind of had that, is this what an offense really looks like moment? Uh, and I think we started to have that again uh, the other uh, last night, you know, watching this, this season opener against NC State of, is, is this how the run game is supposed to look? I mean, you're not stretching these, uh, run plays out to the sideline where you're you're gonna you know run out of space or get you get get to tackle for loss. You're cutting it up field. I mean Trey Turner's uh, his his sweep uh, where he cut on a dime and got up the field. Um, you know you look at uh, Khalil Herbert's runs, uh, Blackshear's touchdown. These were guys that were you know trying to run counters. They were running off tackle and you know it seems like uh, whether it was personnel or, or scheme. Uh, it seemed like we didn't see that as as much uh, in the last few years. So, you know, it's it's exciting to see that Virginia Tech can put together a game where they have 300 yards on the ground, and it's not all coming from the quarterback, um, you know, like we, we, we've seen in the past. So, you know, I, I think that offensive line that and that running game, I think, is, is the keys to the Virginia Tech uh, future right now. Yeah, and I know a lot of people will say, you know, formation three three five maybe it was advantageous for Virginia Tech's offensive line, but you know, uh, looking at NC State, you can call them a bad team, you can say whatever you want, but that defensive line is legit. So I don't think this was a fluke by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, with different looks in future weeks against different defenses, we'll see how well this offensive line fares. But I think initially this is as good of a start that you can expect from this offensive line. Yeah. I talked about, you know, them letting Lucia Smith take care of the defensive end and letting Darisol get into the second level. But that only works because Lucia Smith handled the defensive end as well. Um, And then Ali McNeil in the middle is, you know, one of the best nose tackles, defensive tackles in the ACC and Virginia Tech handled. And he, he's the guy that has to play well every week for NC State to have a chance. And Virginia Tech clearly handled handled him. I mean, I think that was mostly Hoffman um, all night. But, I mean, that was a, that's a team effort on him, too. So that's, a, you know, I, don't, I, you know I, I say that the scheme allowed things for, for NC State to open up or for Virginia Tech to open up. But... You know, you still got to execute, make the blocks. And I think Virginia Tech performed remarkably well there. Yeah. And when you look at, uh, you know, the the expected outcomes that Justin Fuente always talks about, or you look at, you know, doing your job and doing the right thing. It doesn't, you know, when, when you're playing against a team and you can say, you know, a lot of people have been saying over the last 24 hours or so that, you know, NC State is a middle-of-the-road ACC team, and, and Virginia Tech is expected to be a, a an upper-echelon ACC team. When you play against a team like that, or you play against a team that, that fans may deem as uh, not as good as you are or what your expectations are, you have to be able to do what you're supposed to do. You have to take care of your job. You don't play down to the competition. And I think we've seen in the past where Virginia Tech has had a history of 
playing down to their competition. Go back and look at games against Furman, against Rhode Island, against Old Dominion, where it's, you know, we're expected to go in and win this game big, but we're going to play down to their level because we can just out-athlete them. Uh, And we've seen that backfire before. Uh, So I think it was, you know, imperative for Virginia Tech to not only kind of instill their will and set the tempo in this game, but make sure that they didn't fall down to the level uh, of the opponent. Now that defensive line, like, like Matei said, is, is one of the best. I mean, that that's a top defensive line, probably one of the best that Virginia Tech will face uh, in the next few weeks. But, you know, on, on, when, when the Hokies come out and they just dominate at the offensive line position, it's something we haven't seen a whole lot of in the past. They did exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, if there's a game ball that goes out, it should be shared between all five of those starters. Yeah, taking care of business. And speaking of taking care of business, the pass catchers weren't asked to do too much. But between the tight ends and wide receivers, they did come up with a few big plays. Notably, James Mitchell, three receptions, 68 yards and a touchdown. Um, You know, Caleb Smith could have had a touchdown if he wasn't blatantly tripped uh, for a pass interference in the third quarter. But um, you know, I do want to talk about the tight ends first, James Mitchell and Nick Gallo. Uh, you know, I, I was going to say my one complaint for James Mitchell, even though he had a great day, um, you know, you would like to see more involvement for him. And, you know, maybe this is something to keep track of moving forward, because clearly the game plan against NC State was attack them with the ground game. So, you know, wasn't relied upon too much. And then uh, with Nick Gallo. I actually thought that he had a chance for a touchdown with Burmeister in in the first quarter, and instead Burmeister chose to go to James Mitchell, um, who was commanding the focus from the free safety. But you know, all in all, I mean, you lose a guy like Dalton Keene, and it it feels like this unit just didn't even blink. Mit, I mean, Mitchell's going to be one of the top targets for Virginia Tech all year long. I think this was a clearly a conservative ground oriented game plan there as far as what Virginia Tech had to do to to win this game given given how many players and coaches they were missing um, but you know he's a guy that is a clear mismatch uh, when he lines up on the field and I think the one thing that I take away from the passing game is it wasn't a complex passing game from Burmeister or Patterson and maybe never will be um, but those the, those fades and lob passes and all that stuff, it wasn't it wasn't a, a situation where that was the only option that they had. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't a force. Those plays were ran because they knew that they were going to get a matchup, and that was where the ball went. They knew they were going to get a matchup they liked, and I think that's Mitchell's biggest attribute is probably that he's a completely mismatch anytime you put a smaller guy on him and um you saw that on the on the touchdown pass he made in the end zone um on that lob pass over the middle um you know he's he's gonna be kind of the x factor as far as 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 far as opening up opportunities and you know he might not get you know he might not be the most targeted receiver on the team but i bet he probably catches as far as his whatever you want to call it, catch rate, you know, the number of completions he has versus targets is probably going to be enormously high. 
And I want to shift focus to the wide receivers with Evan. Um, again, quiet day for a lot of the guys. Uh, standout performer, probably uh, Tavion Robinson with four catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown. Might have been pass interference. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, a good no call. There's a lot of contact on both sides. But, um, you know, Robinson showing up as an outside receiver. Uh, and then Trey Turner kind of doing doing his part to be big play Trey in all facets of the game. Yeah, you know, I think uh, for what they were asked to do, you know, I, I don't I don't see any downfall to to what the you know wide receivers were asked to do and what they did. I think they all showed up, did their job. You know, obviously, you know, you you like to see a, a bit more of a balanced uh, attack. I think you need to you want to see um, you know maybe some more. Uh, more opportunities for Virginia Tech to push the ball down the field, but they typically looked like they were getting a lot of good field position and they wanted to win that battle on the ground and they were kind of instilling their will there and you minimize your risk uh, running the ball. So, you know, I think I could, uh, I can understand their game plan and their ideas uh, for their scheme going into the game. But, you know, Tavion Robinson, I think he's a guy that we, we watched him all grow last year. Um, I think he's going to end up being a very productive wide receiver. I'm I'm still not 100% on board with him as an outside receiver. I just think think his his size may not live up to being able to be an outside receiver uh, game in and game out. But I think there are certain ways that you can use him. And and when he's on the field, he's a guy like a like a Raheem Blackshear that just brings so much versatility to the offense. Um, that I think it's going to be hard for him to uh, to to sit anywhere. I think that you know he's a guy that you can put him in the slot, you can put him outside, you can put him in motion, um, get him some jet sweeps, things like that. You can even do some trickeration with him with his background of being a quarterback. So, you know, I think that he's continued to grow. I think he's going to continue to get better. Uh, you know, this year uh, he's he's a guy that um, didn't play a lot of wide receiver in high school, but. You know, he might have been the best pound for pound football player out of the 757 the year he came out. So, you know, I think that's saying a lot. And, uh, you know, I think the other wide receivers, obviously, Trey Turner, uh, you can get him involved in so many different ways. Um, you know, I think Caleb Smith had a had a good game. Um, you know, we had heard he came into camp a little bit heavy, uh, worked to get that get that down, get that cut out. And, you know, really has put in the effort to uh, become a good receiver at Virginia Tech, you know, went from walk on to scholarship. I'm really excited to see the transfers once Virginia Tech does have an opportunity to air the ball out a little bit more. I'm, I'm interested to see Changa Hodge, um, Evan Fair, see how they really can pan out, um, you know, at the at the power five level. I think both of those guys got some serious camp buzz. Probably Changa Hodge got some more than than Evan Fair's. I think uh, Hodge can be a guy that can really be a, a game changer once he gets uh, the opportunity. So, you know, I'm really interested to see how those guys progress moving forward and see how it, and you know, how, how does the wide receiver game change based upon quarterback, you know, who's going to be available, who's not, when does Hendon Hooker come back, what decisions does Fuente have to make between the three quarterbacks and how will he handle that moving forward? So, you know, there's a lot of unknowns moving forward, but I can't, I have no complaints about the way the wide receivers played this weekend i think they did what they were supposed to do they won some one-on-one -on -one balls and they uh kind of asserted their dominance where they could i think the one thing that we've talked about with regard to the pass the pass catchers and i guess you throw in blackshear and herbert is the ability for virginia tech to put five options on the field 
at any one time. And, and when you can do that, five dangerous options. And when you can do that, you're going to, you're going to have a, at least one matchup that, that you're going to like. And I think that was pretty much the story of this game. I mean, there was only 11, 11 completions spread out among five guys, but when you can put a, a lineup out there with like Mitchell and Turner and Robinson and Herbert and Blackshear, there's, if you're playing man coverage, which NC State was doing quite a bit, there's there's going to be somebody that you like to match up with, with with a group like that on the field. And I think that's the biggest takeaway here is that Virginia Tech's top-tier playmakers there, that kind of group of five or six, is, is going to, if you're going to play a man against them, I think Virginia Tech is probably going to beat you. So I th- I'll be interested to see going forward as the season progresses how defenses kind of adjust to that and try and figure out how to how to shut how to shut it all down and or at least limit for Shane Tech's um downfield passing game when it comes to you know if you're gonna if you're gonna play Tavion Robinson one-on-one in the slot he's probably gonna win that battle most of the time if you're gonna play James Mitchell one-on-one and let him go over the top he's gonna win that battle most of the time so um you know I think as the season progresses you're gonna see defenses adjust to that and that's probably going to decide kind of the success of Virginia Tech's offense this year. I want to flip things over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about the defensive line. And if I'm being honest here, you know, every year if we do positional rankings, defensive line is usually at the bottom of that totem pole. But, you know, transfer you for Virginia Tech, bring in a guy, Justice Reed, comes into the game, has two sacks. Uh, I know Evan and I were super excited when we found out he was coming to Virginia Tech and put out a little bit of a teaser and, you know, that that riled up the community a little bit. And, uh, you know, they saw that it was a Youngstown State transfer and got a little upset. But, you know, Justice Reed proved that he could play with the big boys. And, uh, you know, he even got one of his, his first sack in a Virginia Tech uniform was ripping through a double team. So... Uh, you know, the defensive line goes from a weakness to a strength. Uh, what did you see out of that position group, Evan? I think he, I think he really, uh, you know, Justice Reed really uh, lived up to what we were billing him as. He's a guy that came in as a day one starter, day one impact player. Obviously, he's in a unique situation being a seventh year senior, but he's, you know, he's on on the line with those other guys on offense that this is his audition. I mean, he could play in eighth year, uh, but he wants to go to the NFL. That's his goal. Uh, and I think, you know, he, he put a very big stamp on that in his, uh, you know, his first game back at the power five level. Um, and, and I think he did really well, you know, not only the sacks, I think he played really well. Uh, you know, other than that, he's a big body D end. he's giving us the glimpse of what tap and tier link want to do moving forward. Um, the mold of, of what defensive ends they're looking at. Now that's going to obviously take time to sign high school guys like that and get them in game shape and get them to his level uh, of play. But this is the mold. This is what we're looking forward to. Uh, and I think that he, you know, maybe had as good of a debut as you could, could hope for. Um, you know, my big concern going into this game was conditioning across that defensive line and the offensive line, which I talked about earlier, but you know, I think that he was a guy that really stood out. Uh, you know, you want to see those guys continue to grow with their conditioning over the next few weeks. Uh, there were a lot of plays that seemed like uh, the, the defensive line wasn't getting the push they should have gotten. Um, and you could tell that 
uh, you could tell that the wind was kind of out of their their lungs a little bit there, uh, especially when Virginia Tech jumped out to a quick lead because they were continually, you know, rotating back onto the field. They weren't getting any breaks. Um, so, you know, I think uh, I think the defense played well. I think the defensive line played well. Justice Reed seemed to live up to his billing, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll con- continue to see them grow moving forward. I, I don't think they're, you know, if they play like they, they played last night against Clemson, they might get a few, uh, they might have a few plays in the backfield, but they might also get exposed. They really do have to continue to grow and continue to making, making uh, strides forward, but it was a great jumping off point for them. I thought the play of the, the defensive line, especially Reed, that his first sack, and then I feel like he was the defensive end that was in on the play on Ashby's sack there in the first half. I mean, as far as what Virginia Tech needed to do to win that game in, in terms of shutting down the run, making NC State try and beat you with, with the pass game, and then, and then teeing off on Hockman, um, you know, that... that that strategy involves the defensive line getting home and sacking the quarterback. And I thought at least in that first half, aside from the one drive there in the second quarter, I think where NC state just kind of ran it right down their throats for a touchdown. Um, I thought that that was, that was critical for, for Virginia tech taking control of the game. Yeah. And I will say like uh, Evan was talking about, it seemed Virginia tech was scoring a little too quickly and the defense was out in the field. If you actually look at time of possession, NC state actually had the ball more than Virginia tech, but um, you know, I was impressed by this defensive line and, you know, I don't expect Reed to have two sacks or, you know, what could have been uh, four by my count um, against NC state, but I don't expect to, him to have that every single weekend, but I think him just being there being the presence that he is is going to impact the game so much uh, for opposing offenses. And, uh, you know, just looking at the rest of the defensive line, I thought it was pretty interesting that, you know, we saw a big rotation of players and uh, the defensive tackles went as far as Max Philpot and Josh Fuga. And, uh, you know, the only negative I have about this group is really trying to see Deshaun Crawford go out there and knowing how much of an impact player he is. And really you, you saw, he couldn't really go. So, uh, you know, Doug kind of talk about the depth of this defensive line and obviously, you know, tired out, maybe need a bit more conditioning, but still being able to show up, showcase this quality of depth. I, I thought it was encouraging and, I guess you could say this across the board for Virginia Tech in terms of where their conditioning level is and what they've been through over the last couple of weeks. This kind of sets the baseline for for where they where they are right now, and hopefully over the next week or two or three weeks they can continue to to get in better and better shape. And um, defensive tackle, they rotated a ton of guys there, which makes sense considering what kind of position what kind of effort that takes between um, Pollard and Kendricks and Hewitt and, you know, Crawford. And I think Crawford was in on one series and it did not look good. Um, and then, and then Fuga and even, even everybody's favorite walk on Phil pot gets in there um, for some really considerable amount of time. I saw Barno in there, a defensive end, Rob Wooten. Can we get him another number besides number 51? Um <laughs> 
but you know, Eli Adams had a good game coming in, coming in in reserve. So, I mean, that's what's going to take here at least early before until Virginia Tech can get everybody at the conditioning level they want to be at. It's going to take you know, five or six defensive tackles and five or six defensive ends there to get through a game. So I thought they were, they were fantastic. And, um, you know, I think the defensive tackle play was solid. I didn't think anybody blew the doors off. Um, you know, Justice Reed was obviously the big impact maker early, but I think, I think Virginia Tech's going to be fine at defensive line as long as they can continue to, you know, stay healthy while continued in, continuing to get in better and better shape. Yeah, you know, one thing about Justice Reed that I kind of noticed, and it wasn't not as much about him per se as it was maybe the flow of the game that I want to watch moving forward, is it became apparent very quickly that NC State did not want to run into him. They ran away from him almost exclusively, it seemed, uh, watching back. So, you know, is if that's going to be a situation where he – shuts down runs to one side of the field and tries to make the run game of opposing offenses one-dimensional, uh, I guess, or, or, or directional. Um, so, you know, I think I'm going to try and watch that moving forward to see if his, just his presence, just his size and, and um, you know, the way that he plays the game, if he uh, shuts down opposing offenses from trying to run at him and can make the run game of other offenses predictable. Because if he can that's going to play really into the strengths of Virginia tech and they can scheme for it and they can, uh, you know, shift their personnel as needed. But, you know, I think that that was one thing that I found interesting is this guy who came from Youngstown state has kind of demanded the respect of NC state early. Uh, and they didn't want to, they didn't really want to try and test him. Um, and that, that became pretty clear as the game went on. Uh, I, I, ju- I just want to add this. I looked it up. Reed has two sacks so far this season. Last year, Belmar led all defensive ends with sacks with four. Oh, so no. Reed, is, <laughs> Reed, Reed, Reed is halfway there to matching um, production there at defensive end. So, you know, I think it's it's the reason Virginia Tech brought him in was a clear, immediate upgrade um, at defensive end. Belmar still starting clearly. Um, but as far as the ceiling goes, Reed's pass rushing ability is, is going to be something to watch throughout the season. Yeah, a lot of good things out of the defensive line. Um, but moving back a unit, looking at the linebackers, I'll be honest here, I don't have all too much to say. Uh, you know, it looked like the same traditional look as a Bud Foster defense, seeing Ashby in the middle, seeing Dax or Tisdale, uh, <laughs> who seemed to always rotate at that backer spot but you know it just seems like another day at the office I don't I don't know if you guys have anything to add but you know when you think about the linebackers for Virginia Tech it just seems like you know both guys are are about being uh consistent as ever yeah you know I, I liked uh what I saw to Ashby obviously I mean he's as consistent as they come um looked a bit quicker you know maybe that's the rest maybe that's some of the offseason rest that he had but Seemed a bit quicker, and I like the way that they were still sending him, uh, you know, on on some blitz packages, and you know, trying to figure out ways to get him uh, to into the backfield. You know, I think obviously you saw that kind of slow down throughout the game, um, and I think 
part of that was dictated by the game, but other part of that may have been dictated by conditioning. Um, you know, good to see them rotate a little bit. I mean, Keyshawn Artis was was on the participation sheet. Dean Ferguson was on there. You know, it seems like they they went through the linebackers and rotated. Uh, you know, fairly uh, fairly heavily as the game went along, getting some younger guys some reps, getting some guys that haven't played as much some some game opportunities. Um, but you know, I think I'm I'm with you. Seem typical. Seemed like the linebackers had a uh, a pretty good game, uh, and and they seemed to do their jobs and, and do what they were uh, were expected to do. I don't have much to add on the linebackers, I, I which I think is exactly what you want out of linebackers. Um, you know, if you're not out of position, if you're where you need to be, if you're chasing down ball carriers, if you're if you're just being a solid linebacker, which is based, you know, Rayshard Ashby, Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale. I don't think anybody's going to claim they're, you know, one of the top linebackers in the country or anything like that as far as disruptive plays, but they just do their job and make tackles and get to the ball. And that's, that's all you can expect. So when you look at, you know, seven tackles from Dax and seven from Tisdale and six from Ashby, and you don't really remember many i mean ashby's sack early was big but you know as far as just coming to play and doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing i think that's what the linebackers did moving on to the defensive backs and surprise surprise it's keontae jenkins uh making the start at rover leading all hokies with eight tackles um you know impressive performance for the true freshman but you know again a, a lot of uh, changes here. Caleb Farley obviously opted out and uh, Jermaine Waller missing was uh, evident in my opinion, but um, Armani Chapman, Breon Murray, you know, a couple picks for Devon Diablo and Breon Murray high stepping or trying to high step past uh, Bailey Hawkman on a pick six, but fell just short. But uh, we can go to Evan here. I mean, what did you make out of the defensive backs against NC State? Uh, first of all, Breon Murray needs to uh, figure out how to beat a quarterback. I mean, you pick it. You got to pick six. It was bad. <laughs> in your face. You high step him. You better get in. I mean, that's just that's that's day one. If you're going to, you know, and he had a taunting penalty early on. Like he was feeling it in this game. And that kind, it, it kind of brings back a little bit of the the old school DBU. Um, that you're used to seeing. I mean, he's a guy that brings that swag to the field, but you got to beat the quarterback. You you got to get in. I mean, it's just this is one of those things. Now, uh, you know, I think he played well. He did get beat on on one route. That was an incompletion um, that I saw. I think uh, Armani Chapman played well, especially coming off the offseason knee surgery. You know, I think he looked he looked sharp. He still looked quick. He didn't uh, you know didn't seem like he was favoring either leg. Uh, Devon Diablo interception. I thought that was, uh, you know, I think that he he read that really well. Loved the post game where you know he was very blunt about, uh, yeah, their quarterbacks telegraph their passes, so we knew what they were going to do. Love it. Um, you know, you go out there and speak your truth, man. Um, so you know, I think that I think that uh, you know, I liked I liked what I saw to him. I'd like to see him be a little bit more physical, um, but you know, I think other than that, he uh, he played the game well. Uh, you got to add in the fact that he's kind of in charge of getting Keonta Jenkins lined up. I mean, this is a guy that's never played the Power 5 level before, never played a college football game. Uh, it wasn't a highly heralded recruit. 
Obviously, they force-fed him over the last few weeks, especially when Devin Hunter's arrest occurred, uh, you know, force-feeding him the the playbook and getting him ready to go, uh, you know, and he's going to rely heavily on a guy like Devon Diablo and the other uh, defensive backs to help him, you know, be in the right place and make the right uh, adjustments and, you know, play the uh, the right alleys. So, you know, I think they all did well. I liked, you know, you, we, you throw in the, the um, – transfer from uh from illinois state taylor i think he i think he had some moments now he's also adjusting to power five football uh you know i think that one thing that he does bring to the field is some physicality and i think he has an in-depth knowledge of playing zone more so than the other guys um so i think that that just that knowledge alone is very helpful now i'd like to see him continue to take the next step obviously this was one of or not the most talented uh you know offenses he's ever faced i would imagine um, playing an ACC, uh, an ACC opponent. So, you know, I'd like to see him continue to grow into that position. Uh, but, you know, there were some others. I thought, you know, Lakeem Rudolph even got a little bit of time at the end. Dorian Strong, who we've heard so much about, he got some time on special teams and on the defense. It was just one of those days where you rotate through so many guys, uh, you know, and I think that the starters looked well. I thought I, I wasn't, um, you know, too upset about anything that the starters did. And then you rotate some guys through and you say, you know, maybe you, you, you probably see some mistakes. You see some breakdowns. I know on one of NC State's last touchdowns, they had uh, a walk on in the defensive back uh, unit out there playing. And, and, you know, he, he made a, I think he made two tackles on that drive, but you know, he, uh, Obviously, when you're when you got to the point where you're playing some walk-ons, not all of them are going to be Sam Rogers, and and not all of them are going to be stars. So, you know, I think the Hokies continue to rotate there, help with their uh, their um, conditioning, and 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 try to build some depth uh, while they had the lead. And you know, other than that, I, I can't say anything negative about the defensive back unit. I thought, other than Breon Murray needs to learn how to beat a quarterback to the end zone. Uh, I thought they played well. I think this is the number one question entering the next couple of weeks for Virginia Tech's defense is the secondary play. Jermaine Waller, you know, that's not a new injury he's dealing with. So whether or not he can come back soon and, you know, maybe he's forcing, maybe he was being a little cautious there. Um, but, you know, that's the one position, the quarterback spot without without Farley and Waller and then the Rover spot where, where Jenkins is taking over for Hunter. You know, I don't think NC State was particularly threatening downfield, and I think we knew that coming in. And I don't think Duke is going to be very threatening downfield either. So this is the one position where I feel like you're going to, you know, you start looking ahead at October 10th against Carolina and what they bring to the table at wide receiver and with their quarterback. Um, this is the one spot where I'd, I don't know if we're going to get a good read on uh the quality of these of these guys and until that game i think you know i think murray that pick <laughs> the pick should have been six um i i'm struggling to remember the last time a virginia tech corner jumped a route like that um diablo clear, clearly was in hockman's head there had that pick from from the moment it was snapped um so so solid play there but i I just don't know how tested they are at this point and how tested they will be before before we get to a to a major test against carolina 
I think the last jumping the route one, just from my memory, had to be Strowman against UNC in the rain. He jumped that route right on the sideline and have the interception. I think I think that's got to be just thinking back on it. That's probably the most recent one. But yeah, I mean, if you're gonna telegraph your passes, you're gonna throw some interceptions. Yeah, is is is, is Strowman had one? <laughs> I the other one before that was like Rock Carmichael had one back in like 2008. So if you're talking about like two jumped routes in the last 12 years. <laughs> Uh, there's got to be at least some more, but um, you know, good for Breon Murray, by the way, as far as a guy coming in as a Juco last year and playing a backup and then stepping up in his first, you know, true start. Um, or maybe he started a couple games late last year, but I mean, his first big opportunity there. I want to move on to special teams. I don't even know if I need you guys for this segment. I'm all too excited about this. It's good to see the gang back. Brian Johnson, three for three, hit multiple plus 45-yard kicks, looked good. Looks like he's, you know, continuing his streak. Obviously, during the Belk Bowl, had a 50-plus yarder. Um, but he looks like an actual weapon for Virginia Tech. And I think now it used to be any time it was inside 40 yards, you felt comfortable with Brian Johnson. And all of a sudden, that range seems to slowly creep back a little bit. So Virginia Tech found a good one and living up to, uh, you know, Beamer ball there. And, you know, Oscar Bradburn. I mean, what what more can we say about him? He's been elite for a long time. Uh, you know, had a heck of a game. I will say, look, they put in Enzo Gorlami, Enzo Anthony, uh, Inglorious Bastards reference there. But, um, you know, some of some of the snaps were a little low. OK, Bradburn needs, uh, you know, he needs his guy back. So uh, Oscar Shadley, you know, safe returns and, and the gang will all be back. But, you know, in all seriousness, this special teams unit looks like one of the best in the conference, if not one of the best. Uh, in America, uh, we can go to Doug first. I mean, you know, is it, what what did you make of it? Brad Burns, the guy everybody knows about, and Johnson has always been the guy everybody's not quite as confident in. Batman and Robin, and, but he, he's a guy that you know he 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 missed some time leading up to this game with COVID stuff and comes back and um, just a. He was money every time. I mean, and that's a guy that a year or two ago was the, you know, inside 40, he was good. And beyond 40, you had no idea. Now he just came to, I mean, he, he drilled all his kicks. So I think, I think you have to feel really comfortable with Virginia Tech is at kicker and at punter, obviously. Um, I think you have to give a lot of credit to Virginia Tech's coaches for taking um, Enzo as a transfer there and, it paying off immediately in terms of that guy. that's a guy who snapped 13 games for UVA last last year and you know I don't know how many people I don't know how many teams have a have depth at long snapper um you know Shadley's a guy that they offered a scholarship to right out of high school and he's been the long snapper ever since he stepped foot on campus so um to have that decision and that transfer payoff immediately is pretty pretty crazy to think about um so i think you know she best and his and his special teams units um clearly delivered there 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, I do want to go to Evan with kind of the kick and punt return, uh, seeing Tavion Robinson back there for punt returns. And I, I know we'll probably bring up his his muffed punt, um, but I do want to give him a special shout out. I just remember this. Um, but the heads up play after North Carolina State went for the onside kick, they quickly changed formations from what looked to be like a standard kickoff to an onside kick. And Tavion smartly batted the ball out of bounds. So, um, you know, really big credit to him and and to James Scheibest for, you know, getting the special teams in order and ready for any situation. Yeah. And you, 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 you go. I want to go back to one thing you touched on with Oscar Bradburn. One thing that Oscar Bradburn can do to take it to the next level, in my opinion. One thing, he needs to get a James Shebes tattoo. If he had Sheebs somewhere on him, I think that would take it to the next level. I mean, we look at look at the kickers at Miami, uh, and, and then you look at Oscar Bradburn, you're like, oh, man, Oscar Bradburn's a blank canvas right now, even though he's got you know hundreds of them, it seems. If he had Sheebs on, on his ribs, maybe on his calf, somewhere a calf would be nice you need to see it on his on his on his punts um but you know i think i think he should uh, i think he should really think about that one you know one night uh one night after after going to tots or sharkies he should figure out a way to go get a sheep's tattoo but uh you know i think punt no return. players going to tots or sharkies right now okay <laughs> uh punt return i'm uh you know I'm, I'm all in on tavion robinson i think he's i think he's a dynamic athlete you know, right, reminds me of Strowman back there. Doesn't have the the breakaway speed Strowman had, but he's elusive. Um, you know, he did have that muff. Obviously, Dorian Strong covered it up. But, uh, you know, I think that that um, – I think Tavion's a guy that is going to break one. I think he's going to break one fairly soon. Every every time he touches it, you think he can take it to the house. So, you know, I think he's a guy that can do that. At, at kick return, you know, I thought it was a little interesting with Herbert back there. But, you know, I could see Blackshear working in there. Obviously, I could see – Keyshawn King being that guy once the, um, you know, once he's he's back with the, with the, you know, back with the team and, and back through whatever his inactive, the reason of his inactiveness is right now. Once he's back and, and fully healthy, I think he should be the guy back there. You know, I don't mind a bigger up back. You know, Jalen Holston being back there makes sense. Upperclassman, um, you know, he's obviously not a burner, but he's a bigger guy. He can block. He can, you know, if it's a short kick, he can he can catch it and and he's got a little bit of ability to make some moves and, and get a get at least get some chunk yardage out of it. But I think Keyshawn King should be the guy there moving forward. Him or Blackshear. I think both of those guys have game breaking ability. Um, but other than that, I mean, I think the special teams looked exactly how you would want them to look game one. Uh, you know, I think especially with the new long snapper, Bradburn's as as consistent as they come. But, you know, I know Oscar's going to be listening to this big fan of Mateus from what I understand. So, Get that Sheeves tattoo. Now I want to I want to wrap up this entire podcast here and and kind of bring it back to to summarize our thoughts about this game, what it might mean going forward. Um, so let's talk big takeaways. The first one that I got: you're missing 23 players. You're missing multiple coaches. Ryan Smith as defensive coordinator. That is my major takeaway from this game, the way the defense was able to step up. And honestly, it looked like it didn't miss a beat. Um, you know, it looked like a continuation 
of a Bud Foster defense, obviously reinforced by some transfers. But, you know, immediate thoughts that, you know, this defense came out to play against, you know, a team that just put up 45 points against another ACC opponent. You know, a, a guy under 30 gets, you know, his first major gig and his call and plays right after Bud Foster. Thoughts to that? We could start with Evan. Yeah, I love it. I love everything about it. I mean, you you have the vocal minority, as I like to call them, um, that will say Ryan Smith isn't ready. That will say Ryan Smith isn't a P5 coach. Ryan Smith can't recruit at the P5 level. Ryan Smith can't coach at the P5 level. Ryan Smith isn't old enough to be a P5 coach. He has no experience. Virginia Tech doesn't need people to learn on the job, yada, yada, yada. And I get it. I understand some of the frustrations. I understand some of the head scratching. I, I, I truly do. But Ryan Smith gets it. Ryan Smith was not phased when Justin Fuente came to him Saturday morning and said, hey, you're the DC for the night. Hamilton's not, not going to be, be with us. Uh, you know, when you are a guy getting your first P5 gig and you're a position coach and the head man comes to you and says, hey, we need you to run the show today. Later tonight, you get a few hours of prep. Have fun. Go for it. You've got to be shaking in your boots. But that dude, uh, you know, from everything we heard, from what Fuente said, from what we saw on the field, I mean, he was ready, he was organized, and he executed. Uh, and I think I don't think you can ask for anything more than that. And I think he might have put some doubters out there, uh, at least at least at bay for a little bit, uh, you know, until a DB gets beat for the first time. Uh, until you play against a team that it has more talent, you know, uh, until maybe a Daz Newsom goes deep and burns everybody because he has elite speed. Uh, but I think he, he I think he silenced some doubters yesterday and I couldn't be, you know, happier for someone to come out and do that. I mean, whether it's a guy at Virginia Tech, whether you hear this story at a program that you don't cover or you don't have a, an intimate knowledge of. And you think, well, good for him, you know, good for that person for taking advantage of a golden opportunity and not squandering it away. And I think that, you know, everything we've heard about Ryan Smith has been, uh, you know, he's a guy that that really understands it and really gets it and has a really bright future in, in college football. And I think we saw that uh, it just a glimpse, you know, four hours of it. We saw a glimpse of it. Uh, and I fully agree. I think he's got a bright future. And, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see him grow and, and progress at Virginia Tech. I think a, a lot of uh, older Virginia Tech fans probably have seen this before with coaches that have come through and grown from a young age. Uh, and I think I think he's going to be the next one that has a really bright future and can be a very, uh, very big asset to Virginia Tech moving forward. The whole story there is pretty insane as far as Smith finding out the morning of the game that he's going to call plays. This is a guy that not only has he not coached at the P5 level, but joined the program this offseason where they didn't have spring practice. He's basically only been coaching the defensive scheme with these players for you know six weeks of preseason camp. Has never seen, you know, the typical, you know, you think if if you have a guy who's coached under a coordinator and has to fill in 
for that coordinator once he kind of has an idea of the typical calls and things that he would make and Smith did not have that luxury. He doesn't have a head. Fuente is an offensive guy. He doesn't have a head coach who's ever called plays defensively. Tracy Clays isn't there. He's got, you know, 30 plus years of experience. Bill Tierlink is there, but he hasn't been around um, the college game, number one, but he also hasn't been around the team either because of COVID stuff. I mean, just a. He had practically zero experience, zero preparation zero anything and he comes in and, and, and you know as far as we can tell calls a pretty good game I think you have to give a lot of credit to the players too obviously for executing but I mean as far as being a guy that didn't have any idea this was coming didn't have any experience doing it didn't have any experience within this defense doing it um, pretty remarkable for you know I think he's 29 a 29 year old to come in and um you know, it it was the first game in twenty seven year twenty six years that Bud Foster was not the defensive coordinator, and the recent hire from JMU, who's early in his coaching career, takes over and, and gets the job done. I think I think you have to give a lot of credit to him. I want to talk about the transfers and how Virginia Tech might have just become transfer you. And we talk about Virginia Tech at surface level is a very talented team. Uh, but when you mix and match all these guys, offense and defense, um, it's like adding hot sauce to your favorite dish. It just enhances it. So, Evan, let's go to you. Let's talk about these transfers. I mean, Virginia Tech's ability to identify these guys because you're not pulling these guys from Ohio State and plugging them into your system. You're looking at Kansas, Rutgers, two of the worst Power Five uh, college football programs in America. You're looking at Illinois State, Youngstown State, uh, FCS-level programs like Villanova. Uh, so what did you make of of just collectively all of these guys coming into the fold and and kind of making an impact for Virginia Tech in their first game? You know, I think you see the same thing on a just a different scale uh, when Virginia Tech looks at evaluating and, and identifying high school and junior college uh, pro- prospects as they do with the transfer portal. The first thing is you have to find a kid that fits. He has to fit you on the field and he has to fit you in the locker room. A guy like Brock Hoffman, excellent fit for Virginia Tech on the field, excellent fit off the field as well. Guy that can really raise the whole level of the room, the whole intensity of the room. You look at a guy like Justice Reed, same thing. Fits on the field, can be a leader off the field and in that room and help bring everybody up and to be better around them. Blackshear, Virginia Tech needed an X factor. He is that guy. Obviously, we didn't get to see all of it uh, you know, this weekend due to some cramping, but I think we are will we will continue to see his role expand. Uh, Herbert, the guy that was just buried. I mean, he's a guy that has every ability in the world, but was just buried on a, on a depth chart behind an NFL star, and, and Virginia Tech noticed that, and they, they knew that they had an opportunity there. Um, look at some of the other guys. I mean, a guy like Evan Fares, you, you need a big body receiver who can block on the perimeter. He was a guy that could do that. Now, he did have one. Looked like a bobble. I didn't see the replay last night. Looked like a bobble on the sidelines, incomplete. You know, we'll like to see him him uh, clear that up a little bit. Really excited to see Chenga Hodge. I think he's a guy that the NFL scouts already have their eyes on out of Villanova. And if he can put together a big year uh, at Virginia Tech, I think he can be a guy that can get drafted, uh, you know, 
not overly early, but somebody that can hear their name called uh, in the upcoming NFL draft. So I think they've done really well. Burmeister's another one. You want to find a guy that can move and can throw, you know, and can and ru- can run an RPO really well. And it looks like, you know, from the limited amount of, of film we've seen, I think he runs the RPO probably the best of the three quarterbacks. Uh, may not have the arm talent of, of Hendon Hooker, but he's a guy that's fast. He's elusive. He can run the RPO. And he's a guy that's not going to give you a lot of trouble off the field. I mean, obviously a guy who was a parade All-American and a high-level recruit comes in, gets his eligibility denied, and the next thing he does is say, I'm going to make your scout team the best scout team in the country, and I'm going to make your defense work for it. And that's exactly what he did. So, you know, I think I think Virginia Tech has done a really good job uh, evaluating guys that can really help their program and guys that can really help mentor the mentorship of within their program as well on and off the field. Uh, and I think they've done great there. I think that's an avenue Justin Fuente needs to always continue to, uh, to explore. Yeah, I think, I think that's going to happen year in and year out. You know, you count them up. If you count Hodge and Fares, Virginia Tech's relying on about eight transfers, just like regular transfers, not Juco guys, but regular transfers this year. And it makes a lot of sense. You're talking about, you know, Virginia Tech is recruiting at a certain level. We all know that um, recruiting the high school players at a certain level, but where they can really make an immediate impact is by continuing to kind of mine that transfer portal where you can add immediate impact players. Um, you know, <laughs> Virginia Tech, first play of the game, transfer from Oregon, hands it off to a transfer from, from Kansas. I think that's going to continue. And, you know, if you can add four or five four or five guys to the top of your depth chart every year. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Virginia Tech is clearly appealing to these guys, which makes it, you know, a little easier. I don't think a Clemson or an Alabama is ever going to be, you know, heavily active in the transfer market where, you know, if they lose a line, if they need a hole, if they need to fill a hole at linebacker, they're not going to go out and get a transfer from Kansas or Rutgers or anything like that. They're just going to next five star up but Virginia Tech might need to do that and by that point in a career you know they're recruiting second third fourth fifth seventh year guys um they don't care about the things that 18 year old 17 year old high school prospects it's a completely different recruiting pitch as far as from a high school prospect to you know, three or four is in three or four years into their career, and they're looking for a stable program with um, good exposure and a lot of playing time. And I think Virginia Tech is a, is very very appealing to a lot of that, a lot of a lot of those types of guys, which is why we're seeing, you know, them bring in eight contributors this year to their to, on their depth chart. So I think that's going to continue, and um, it'll be interesting to see as far as numbers going forward. And you're talking about bringing in twenty five high schoolers each year if you're saving spots um to kind of to keep adding guys um in the transfer market in you know january february march and one of (laughs) one of the least impactful storylines but one that was definitely noted after the game braxton burmeister having a hand cramp first of all haven't heard that one before but the strange part about the story was that his mom who was in the stands came down and just so happened to have 
a packet of mustard, which helped him with his hand cramps to eventually come back into the game. Evan, I know you said this isn't a weird practice. It does sound kind of weird to me, though. Yeah, it's not. It's not a weird practice. And I've actually not uh, not playing a sport before, but I've actually had a point where, uh, you know, you get you get body spasms or body cramps. I've had them in my hands where it feels like your hand is in a vice and it's it feels like your wrist is going to break. I mean, it, it's terrible. Uh, it, it closes. The fist closes. You can't open it up. You can't control the hand at all. Mine was due to uh, a potassium de- uh, deficiency at the time. Um, so, you know, his his was more uh, electrolytes and, you know, being being a former athlete, we always had mustard. We always had pickle juice. Uh, it's a way to really quickly re- remove uh, relief cramping issues, especially if you are, you know, in a tournament or you're playing in some heavy heat or anything like that, or you're going to be, you know, prolonged period of time without proper conditioning, um, you know, and, and I've heard that his mom had, is a nutritionist or has a, a background in nutrition and she knew exactly what to do once uh once he kind of made the motion that he was cramping up uh, and she grabbed some mustard i think from one of the concession stands or something and ran it down there and got him that and, and got some they got some fluids in him they got the electro his electrolytes back up and he was good to go so obviously that'll be something they will probably look forward or look towards this week of maintaining that and managing that maybe get him on some some supplements potassium magnesium things like that to uh, to kind of keep him hydrated uh, as he continues to go throughout the year uh, to make sure it doesn't happen again it can be very scary it's like uh, you know in my experience it's like when you wake up and your hand is asleep you know your hand is numb it's like that but it quickly overtakes all the way up your arm and you literally can't move it. You can't unlock it. You can't bend your elbow. You can't turn your wrist. It gets really scary really fast. So, you know, good on them for for kind of uh, noticing it, evaluating it and getting it fixed rather quickly for him so that he could continue to play because it can be a scary situation. I had two things to add on this. Number one, I wish we had, they had cameras all over the stadium you know, a thousand people in the stands, the stands are wide open. And I just want the clip of Braxton's mom coming down the steps with mustard packets in her hand, ready to, to go. Um, that's gotta be kudos to her for being on top of that. As far as, you know, Virginia tech has this world-class nutrition team and trainers and all the resources that a major P five program has. And, She's just running down with the mustard, ready to go. Um, hat tip to her. And, you know, I think this is one of those instances where I think I posted this on the board earlier today, but, you know, the NLI, NIL legislation that's going to allow sponsorships and commercials to happen. I mean, this is a ready-made uh, current events sponsorship opportunity for Braxton Burmeister to get a little money from some mustard company that wants to sell them, wants them to do an Instagram post or mustard commercial life. must, you know, just that's easy, quick. I don't know. I don't think it's worth much, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks, but I mean, it's, that's, if I was a marketing director at, uh, whatever mustard company there is, you know, I might be looking into this. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back on track after that one, um, I do want to make a quick mention 
Uh, maybe Evan can dive into this a little bit. But um, speaking of Hendon Hooker, uh, who was supposed to be quarterback one and did not play uh, in week one, uh, Fuente, after the game, did speak on his health and status moving forward. So, Evan, if you want to reiterate anything Fuente said just to uh, ease the listeners' concerns. Yeah, so there was a condition that popped up on a medical screening. Um, you know, obviously due to uh, HIPAA and FERPA laws, uh, we won't get much more than that. Um, but there was a medical issue that did arise uh, that caused some some alarm, uh, caused some 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 cause for pause, if you will. And uh, you know, they there was some a second opinion that was uh, apparently. Uh, taken some experts were were called in to review some stuff and from what Fuente said in his post game last night all of that has checked out for Hendon Hooker he is expected to return to practice on Sunday um, and and be a, able to acclimate himself back into the football process now does that mean he's going to play on Saturday I don't know uh, it depends on the medical staff they will probably make the ultimate decision uh, but the rumors that came out of a career ending injury or anything like that seem to be a little bit, uh, they may have been a little premature. They may have been uh, not having all of the information at the time. Um, it sounds like there was a medical scare. There was an issue that arose, um, but Virginia Tech got the right people on the job to evaluate everything. And it sounds like Hendon Hooker will be back this season. We don't know when that will be, uh, but he is supposed to be back at practice this week, and we will continue to track that and continue to uh, to have some updates on that uh, for the VIP subscribers. And now I just want to give you guys each a chance. We You can talk about your expectations moving forward, but just to sign off for this one, uh, just your overall take from game one uh, and what you expect moving forward. I thought, I thought for the most part, everything that we expected for Gene Tech to be this year proved true. And you look at the running game being improved. You look at the offensive line being a strength of the team. You look at a guy like Burmeister being particularly dangerous on the ground. Diverse, diverse options, at, you know, on offense in general, Justice Reed providing a boost at defensive end. And, you know, continued question marks at corner. I think everything we thought about Virginia Tech proved true, um, which is encouraging. And I think a, a really good sign going forward for Virginia Tech. And I think um, if you're looking at the ACC after, you know, it's one one game for Virginia Tech, but we're into two or three games for most teams. Um, clearly Clemson's ahead of the rest. And then, you know, you're looking at a second tier of you know UNC, Virginia Tech, Miami, uh, Pittsburgh might be in there where for you know it's starting to take shape where you know Virginia Tech's basically right where they are. However, you know you don't want to get too far ahead. NC State four and eight last year, you know gave up forty two to Wake Forest forty five this week. Um, clearly not the best defense and. Um, with their quarterback play, I don't think they were a very threatening offense. And then if you look at what Duke has done this year, you know, I talked about this earlier, but 0-3, I, I just don't think Virginia Tech is going to be tested until the UNC game, which is going to be just a 
monstrous game. I mean, Virginia Tech should roll over Duke on Saturday if they if they play somewhat close to the level that they played against NC State. So then it all points to that the the road game at Carolina is gonna is gonna be the the game that really shows kind of what level Virginia Tech is at this point. And you know, you but you have to be encouraged given given all that they were missing, given the coaching staff departures, I guess, um, and what they were able to do, not only with the guys missing, but the guys that were available but had not practiced much to this point. Um, pretty encouraging there at this point. And, and, and now you got to wonder, how do you balance those guys coming back and getting more in shape, quote-unquote, getting more game ready and all that stuff versus you know the the normal wear and tear of playing football games every week you know grinds down teams over the course of any season so i think i think it's something to watch over the next couple weeks and you know the team certainly can't look ahead or look past any one opponent but we can and you know i think we can look past duke and say it's another opportunity to get some practice in and get some work in and then october 10th is going to be a monstrous week yeah, I think the big takeaway for me was uh, over the Fuente t- uh, tenure so far, uh, overcoming adversity has not been the strong suit, in my opinion. Uh, but they showed that that the team was able to overcome probably the most adversity that they faced. I mean, you are missing, you know, a, a quarter of your your players. You're missing a quarter of your on-field staff. Uh, you are replacing a Hall of Fame defensive coordinator with, by proxy, a cornerbacks coach from James Madison that's been on campus for six six weeks, seven weeks, you know, with the team. Um, so, you know, I think all odds were really stacked against them, and I think that they overcame that ad- adversity, which I think is a major step in the right direction. And a uh, you know a, a, a snapshot of the character that the team has, uh, and I'm interested to see how they continue to grow. I mean, NC State is not the greatest of opponents. I think Duke coming up is not going to be a great test either. Uh, you know, I'm 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 with Doug that UNC game uh, next month is going to be a good barometer for Virginia Tech. Are they closer to taking that next step where they can compete for ACC championships again, or are they going to be a team that struggles and, and wins eight eight games? Uh, so, you know, I think that's going to be the big thing to watch moving forward and, and then figuring out how and when Hendon Hooker returns. How does he get acclimated back into the offense? What happens at that point? You know, what decisions have to be made uh, and how can the offense be tailored? You know, I think the good thing is, you know, if you're Virginia Tech, if I'm making these calls, you know, I, there's no way, even if the medical staff says Hendon Hooker can play this weekend, I don't play him. You know, I, I'd make Duke uh, prepare, i make UNC prepare for all three. Um, I don't tip my hand either way. And I'd play, I'd roll Burmeister and, and Hooker through, uh, through Duke and then make a decision going into that UNC game and, and maybe not even publicize that going through. Let, let it be a game time decision. Let it be a surprise and try to keep UNC on their heels. So, you know, those are my takeaways from this weekend. I think they did what they were supposed to do, and I think you have to be encouraged. But this, like everything with COVID, cautious optimism is is probably the way to go. 
Yeah, just to clarify, you meant uh, Patterson and Burmeister, and uh, kudos for you for making the UNC keeping them on their heels joke. Very nice of you. But, um, you know, going third here, you know, you guys covered a lot of, uh, you know, what I was going to say here, but I will say one of the underlying storylines throughout this entire season, and especially what you saw in this first game, is just the quality of depth that Virginia Tech is building, not just the players, but the coaches too. And I think putting guys in bigger positions where, you know, it is more of a risk, but, uh, you know, and and we've seen all the time Fuente is very risk adverse, but, you know, now this is the season where he has to experiment with certain things, uh, I think is really interesting and will be a big development for a lot of the players and coaches on the roster. And, um, you know, obviously a great result against maybe not the best team. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to be desired out of the passing game for Virginia Tech. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see what the defense looks like against uh, a capable quarterback on the opposition. But, um, you know, overall, I think Virginia Tech showed that they're going to be a team that's going to try to compete, um, be one of those teams that can compete. Um, But I think, you know, it's a bit premature to put them in any, you know, top three in the conference type discussions or, you know, maybe this is the team that um, will play. Clemson in the ACC championship, even though Notre Dame is included in the conference this season. So, you know, overall, it's a it's a great first step, but there's a lot more steps um, to take. And, uh, you know, it, it's exciting to follow along. Um, you know, we're excited to see, uh, you know, prepare for football uh, for two weeks in a row. So let's see how long this train keeps moving. But that will do it for us tonight. And we'll see you guys later on in the week. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world.